Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. reason why Indigenous people have said through the Uluru Statement we want a referendum on a voice is because we have put our faith and belief in the people of Australia to get this right. And it also then comes upon those who are advocating the particular cases outside the yes case and, and those in the no case have a responsibility um, to try and make this something that informs people, um, that looks to unite rather than seek division. I heard Dean Parkin in a recent interview state that the gap exists between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australia. That's nonsense. The gap exists between the marginalised and those who aren't. Well, truth, treaty or trickery, what is the real agenda of the so-called voice to parliament and executive government? In a moment, I'll look at the latest developments and speak with the convener of Multicultural Voices Against the Voice, Jamal Dowd. He held a successful forum last week in Western Sydney. Our migrant communities are asking, where's our voice? Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Lyle Shelton. Also coming up, the Barbie movie. Have you seen it? I confess that I did and I'll speak to Bella Debrera from the Institute for Public Affairs about what this seemingly harmless movie is preaching. What is a woman? That is the question befuddling politicians and woke bureaucrats everywhere. In New Zealand, newspapers are refusing to take the money of a family group seeking to run ads asking this question ahead of the general election. Is this censorship? My friend Bob McCoskery will join me and uh, we'll have a discussion about that. And as always, Kiralee Smith, who was labelled anti-trans by the Sunday Telegraph last weekend, joins me for our regular update on the latest in this wacky gender-bending moment. It's quite serious, actually, because of what it's doing to children, uh, girls in particular. Uh, I would have thought that Kiralee was pro-girls and women, but the media are taking a while to come to their senses and they like pejorative terms. Now, before I start... Don't forget the, that CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, this unmissable conference that started in the US in 1974, is coming back to Sydney on August 19 and 20. I'll tell you who is talking and how to get a 10% discount on the tickets at the end of the show. All that and more, don't touch that dial. But first, the voice referendum due before the end of the year has again dominated politics this week. What is the real agenda of those pushing the so-called voice to parliament and executive government? Are we being told the whole story or are we being sold a vibe? What powers will the voice has? What does it need, sorry, why does it need to be permanent in the constitution where it is almost impossible to be taken out? We discussed some of this last week with Fred Paul, but more scrutiny, particularly after Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's train wreck interview with Ben Fordham is required. It was a very telling interview. Remember, on the victory podium after last year's election, the first thing Anthony Albanese did was commit his new Labor government to the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. And on behalf of the Australian Labor Party, I commit to the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. 
Now, this document was developed by an invite-only delegates to a conference at Uluru in 2017. Uh, and it demands that a voice be enshrined in the constitution, it demands a treaty, it demands so-called truth-telling, as if there is some conspiracy to hide the truth about Australia's past. Voice, treaty, truth is the catch cry of the Uluru Statement. It also asserts the sovereignty of Indigenous people as if they should be divided from the rest of us and governed differently. Now, despite being committed to the Uluru Statement from the heart in full, there's been no indication from the Labor government what sovereignty might mean for one race over the many races that make up modern Australia. But sovereignty is clearly part of the agenda of The Voice, about which Australians will go to a referendum later this year. In keeping with his commitment to the Uluru Statement, Albanese last year wore a T-shirt with the words Voice, Treaty, Truth emblazoned on it. Now, it's obvious these are a package deal. Albanese's appointees to the Voice Referendum Working Group, Thomas Mayo and Teela Reid, um, both speak of treaty. They both speak of forcing white people to pay the rent, as if people aren't paying enough already with high mortgage prices, inflation and high electricity prices. And they both speak of upending structures which allegedly oppress Indigenous people, as if there are structures in modern Australia that are deliberately oppressing anyone, let alone Indigenous people. Now, Thomas Mayo tweeted in 2020 that a constitutional enshrined voice is important to establish to use the truth to support treaty negotiations. Australians, will, uh, Australians already will support a referendum to recognise our voice, he said. They are much less likely to support what we may claim in a treaty, i.e. reparations, land back, etc. Uh, you're dead right about that, Thomas. When asked in May of this year if the voice would lead to a treaty and truth-telling, Albanese said this, they are very much part of the next phase, if you like, end quote. But last week in the now infamous interview with 2GB, 2GB's Ben Fordham, this facade slipped. The Prime Minister denied the link. Thing, Surely, as part of the Uluru Statement, we have a voice, we have treaty, we have truth-telling. As part of a treaty, won't there be compensation? If there is, I mean, that's not totally unexpected. This isn't about a treaty. But there are three parts of the Uluru is, Statement. Yeah, and this is not. So you're talking about the voice. This is not about a treaty. But as part of treaty, which we this guess is, will be a following step. This is not about. A do treaty. you foresee that compensation would be? This paid? is not about a treaty. This isn't about that, Ben. What we need to do is to, and, and this is the issue here. We have had a debate about things that aren't happening rather than about things that are. But and people, people want to know. Can, can will I make one point? Be paid? Can I make one point? No. Ben, I, I can't say it any clearer. Okay. Compensation is a, has nothing to do with what people will vote on in the last quarter of this year. No, I'm talking and about can, after and, that. And can I make that – well, they're not voting on any of that uh, No, I was just year. saying there are three stages. So can after it, we go through the voice, is it natural to assume that as part of treaty no, – No, it's not natural So, so Thomas to, to go wrong? through – Now, Albanese ignored that last question about Thomas Mayo. So which is it? A voice enshrined in the Constitution that has nothing to do with future treaty making or simply an advisory voice that just happens to be enshrined in the Constitution? Once something is in the, constitutions, it, in, in the Constitution, its powers and its reach are ultimately decided by unelected judges on the High Court. Disagreements between the voice and the government and parliament will grind their way through legal processes, putting sand in the gears of the affairs of state. It feels like Labor is trying to trick the nation into voting for a permanent change to the Constitution so the agendas of the Uluru Statement can be progressed but without debating their consequences. That statement, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, co-written by Cape York leader Noel Pearson, says changes to the Constitution are needed to give Indigenous people special rights because of, quote, the torment of our powerlessness. Now, in the excellent even-handed Sky News documentary about the voice that's aired, on, aired uh, earlier in this week, no campaign leader Jacinta Napajimpa Price called Pearson's and Yes campaign director Dean Parkin's bluff. 
She rejects the notion that there is a general gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. I heard Dean Parkin in a recent interview state that the gap exists between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australia. That's nonsense. The gap exists between the marginalised and those who aren't. Now, Price alleged that negative Indigenous cultural factors, which would remain whether or not a voice was enshrined in the Constitution, prevented voices like her grandmother, Tess Napaljeri Ross, from being heard. Napaljeri Ross was violently beaten by an Aboriginal man in her dysfunctional Yundamu community in Central Australia. When Price arrived at Yundamu with Sky News to speak with her, she was forbidden to speak. They should have the freedom to have their voice heard, ultimately. This is what this whole bloody referendum is about. And their own voices are not being heard in this. And it's as simple as that, really. They should have had the freedom to be heard. In a strong intervention this week into the debate, former Prime Minister John Howard questioned why Labor was dividing Australians. He said this, the more you get told you've got to do this because it's the right thing to do and the good thing to do, the more people will say, hang on, tell me why. We are not being told why. This is the greatest weakness of the yes case, end quote. But Mayo and the drafters of the Uluru Statement have told us why. The voice must be created to negotiate a treaty and compensation. Albanese also told us why on election night last year when he committed his government to the Uluru Statement from the heart in full. But in a bid to keep his referendum alive, he denied it on radio last week. Truth-telling should start with the Yes campaign. Well, surprisingly, multicultural Australia is watching the voice debate with great interest. Of all people, they don't like it being implied that they are racist if they have concerns about or don't support the voice. A campaign organisation called Multicultural Voices Against the Voice has been formed. A successful forum was held last week in Western Sydney with leading no campaigner Warren Mundine as one of the key speakers. Organiser Jamal Dayard joins me now. Jamal, welcome. Um, Jamal, why did you form Multicultural Voices Against the Voice? Uh, uh, thank you for hosting uh, me on your uh, uh, show. Uh, the the major reason why we uh, uh, or, or which prompted us to uh, to establish this group is the total lack total uh, total lack of the multicultural uh, input in in the debate uh, uh, for the, for the last few months uh, because of many reasons mainly because of the. Uh, uh, of the bullying and uh, vicious attacks on anyone in the multicultural uh, community uh, uh, if they uh, if they uh, uh, express their opposition of the of the referendum and uh, we were not only myself uh, a lot of uh, people in the multicultural communities were labeled as racist as uh, ungrateful uh, uh, not thankful uh, for for uh, for being allowed to migrate to this great nation. And uh, this is why uh, we thought that there, there, there was a vacuum uh, of uh, multicultural voices in the debate. And, uh, uh, and we, uh, uh, we uh, decided to establish this group just to give a platform for people from uh, migrant uh, communities to express themselves and, uh, uh, and to encourage them to speak up uh, what they what they are thinking about this referendum? Well, well, Jamal, you certainly did that very well last week at the forum. Um, where is this bullying coming from? Where are these allegations of racism against people of of uh, diverse ethnic backgrounds who have come to enrich the tapestry of our nation? Where, where, where is this coming from? It is official in the US campaign. It's official coming from the government and. Uh, uh, when uh, you just follow what uh, uh, just follow what the messages the government uh, and uh, and the media supporting the the the, the referendum uh, the just follow their messages about uh, this is a recognition of inter of of the indigenous people this is the uh, the, the the recognition that 
multicultural people should appreciate and support and it is everywhere in uh, especially on the media that is uh, uh, aimed uh, at reaching the the uh, the, uh, the migrant communities so it is official in the in the in the yes campaign in the government campaign that uh, uh, multicultural uh, or migrant people need to be thankful uh, for being allowed to migrate to Australia and uh, in, in return they should support the referendum. Jamal, is this more implied? Look, I can't imagine anyone from the Yes campaign overtly saying you're a racist if you don't support the voice. I think we, we all of us feel that that's the <laughs> implication. But is that what you're picking up on? Is that what the people of Western Sydney are picking on this, picking up on this implication that if you're not on board, you're ungrateful? Um, it's not said explicitly, is it? No, it is not. Of course, it is a subtle, uh, subtle uh, bullying. It is subtle uh, campaign. And uh, again, uh, you when I was interviewed at one of the media mainstream media, I was uh, the journalist was uh, was short, was telling me how dare like how dare you uh, migrant uh, oppose this uh, referendum? First, it is it is about indigenous people, and you 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 have you have this is what this is exactly what I was encountered. You have no right to come here until uh, to uh, to oppose this referendum, which will give. Uh, a recognition for the for the his, uh, indigenous people, the the historical custodians of this land, which is you are not. And uh, at that at that interview, I said, uh, okay, I came to this country to live as an equal citizen. I I refuse this this uh, the, 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 this argument that I should be always a second class citizen and uh, not have not have say uh, about about issues that will affect my kids myself. Yeah, yeah. no, that's very well said. Jamal, and uh, look, I'm going to say this uh, on air because you mentioned it at the forum that that interview was with SBS and, and shame on yeah. SBS for making uh, a migrant to our country like yourself. You're from, from Jordan. You're a proud Australian now, but uh, to make you feel like uh, you're a racist, um, it's so ironic given that this is coming from uh, SBS. Um, now, now Jamal... Um and because because of this because of this uh, subtle uh, bullying we are receiving a lot of a lot of messages a lot of messages comments on our on, on my on my facebook on my tiktok that you are racist you are racist and you are not grateful to the to the to the first uh, uh, Australians to the historical custodians of this land by standing up uh, against this uh, again against this referendum and I was contacted by people who are um, member of the Labour Party and they met with me from the from my community I said you can't you can't continue your line uh, opposing this uh, this uh, this referendum that will give a recognition for the first the first uh, the the first nation the first nation. Well, wow, that's fascinating, Jamal. I thought one of the fascinating things that came came out uh, in the forum. Uh, one of the speakers, uh, Tanya Mahalik from uh, One Nation, she made the point that the Labor politicians in Western Sydney are not promoting the yes case for The Voice uh, on their social media, on their websites. Uh, normally politicians are always pushing whatever particular policy agenda the government has at the time. This is, of course, one of the big priorities of Anthony Albanese. Uh, they're not talking about cost of living and, and, and electricity prices and inflation. They're talking about The Voice. But the local politicians of Labor in those migrant communities, uh, it's almost like the voice doesn't exist. I think that's that's very telling, isn't it? It is. Uh, and... Uh... Uh, and not only this. When uh, if they mention uh, the voice, they will never mention the details of the voice, which is also uh, telling the whole story. But as you mentioned, the the, the local members in 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 the area, the local members uh, in in the, the areas of uh, of the of the southwestern Sydney, they are not they are not campaigning uh, on this issue, not even on their on their on their uh, on their social media and. Uh, it is it is uh, it is telling a lot of things which is the, uh, the major and this is the major issue that uh, concerns us the secrecy we, uh, here we are in a secret in a secret ballot and the, the prime minister wants us to to sign a, a blank check for him to do whatever to change the constitution and we don't know the, all the details and uh, 
uh, this is exactly what the, 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 the labor members who control these areas uh, should should start to talk about. We need uh, details, and I, I think they are losing more and more by hiding all these details and by our campaign of exposing the, the real agendas behind, behind this. Well, that's right. These real agendas of uh, truth, treaty, uh, that is a package deal that, of course, goes with the Uluru Statement from the heart. Jamal, um, are, are the migrant communities in Western Sydney, and, and I'm sure in other parts of the country, are, are they looking at this debate and saying, why is it that one race is being offered a special voice in the Constitution so that it cannot be changed? Why, why don't other races get these sort of privileges? Is, is that the sort of question people are asking? This is a question we are hearing more and more now, and uh, and uh, taking into account the large, the the the, uh, the, the diverse areas, uh, these uh, some areas in 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 Australia and Australia in in in, in uh, as a whole, we are a diverse, multicultural nation. That if we uh, if we start to divide Australia into pieces and. Uh, we need a voice. We need a voice for one race. Uh, a lot of other uh, uh, other ethnicities, other religious uh, religious uh, followers, uh, other uh, other uh, minorities will come and say, uh, "We also need uh, a voice." And we are hearing this louder and louder now. And people, uh, especially people, my my uh, migrants from non-English speaking background, they are flagging the, all the facts that if if uh, uh, every marginalized uh, group needs a voice uh, to be heard, we are definitely one of them because we are a large community and our, our voice is not heard in the parliament and everywhere uh, in, Australia, uh, in Australia, in Australia, uh, I mean in the political system in Australia. And if uh, if this uh, voice will successful, and I doubt about this, and I hope it will not. Uh, uh, a lot of people from migrant communities will come and say we need a voice, and this is the real, this is the real danger. In in addition to the all the the the, uh, the the deep agendas, the hidden agendas of the government, it will it will divide our community, our society even further. Mm. No, I think that's exactly right. Um, we we the, the success of. Australia has been its ability to integrate people from all sorts of different nations and ethnic backgrounds and uh, and uh, we should be equal under the law. That's always been the Australian way. Uh, everyone is uh, equal. Everyone's as good as the next person. And uh, this is very much dividing us. Well, well Jamal, thanks for um, bringing to our attention uh, the concerns in the multicultural community in Australia. And um, we really appreciate your time here on ADHD today. Thank you very much. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you. Well, in a disturbing display of media censorship in New Zealand, the major daily newspapers have banded together to pull a full-page advertisement at the 11th hour. The advertisement asks the question, what is a woman? Now, joining me now to discuss this is Family First New Zealand CEO Bob McCroskery. Bob, what's going on over there? Well, uh, hi, Lyle. Good to be on the program again. Very good question. It seems a pretty innocuous question, but it's the most controversial one. What is a woman? And we simply wanted to launch a campaign that got people thinking about that. We wanted to uh, create a petition which uh, requests that the definition of woman in public policy and uh, local, local regulations would be adult human female. Mm -hmm. Uh, as we understand it biologically, and that would, of course, get rid of some of the things that, uh, you know, your other uh, guests like Curly Smith are, are regularly talking yeah. about, which is the danger to children, uh, sports, changing rooms, uh, just confusion on birth certificates. Yeah. So we uh, placed the ad with three independent companies from each other uh, and six major daily newspapers, so yeah. the, the six of the biggest in New Zealand. So a pretty substantial ad buy, Bob, I'd imagine. Well, it is. Yeah, I mean, you would expect it's around uh, three to five thousand per newspaper uh, in New Zealand, and you know, we received the email confirmation beforehand. In fact, we'd given them the artwork a couple of weeks before, and we had the approval. One of the newspapers we had the approval a week before, and then at the eleventh hour, we suddenly got notification that all three independent companies were not placing the ad and in fact then we got some uh, 
uh, correspondence which clearly alluded to the fact that it seems that at editorial level, not at sales level, but at editorial level, they there had been some discussion going on and they seem to have come to a group decision. Now, they'll try and deny this. They'll also try and deny that they cancelled it. Uh, the New Zealand Herald, for example, says, well, we didn't actually cancel it. No, what they did was they delayed it so that it wouldn't place on the actual day that you wanted. You know, a bit like sending a referee to a um, sports game two days late and saying, well, what's the problem? Oh, well, the game's already been played. So, uh, you know, they'll, they'll try and weasel their way out of it, but it is concerning. Yeah. And I think most New Zealanders are concerned just with the level of censorship happening at newspaper level on what is obviously a controversial debate. We don't yeah, deny yeah. that, but, but, but it is six, one of... Six newspapers all at mm. the same time, yep. supp supposedly different companies, um, there must be some collusion going on there. Otherwise, it's the biggest coincidence of the century. Well, no, there's no coincidence about it. And it, what it shows is just how left-wing our media has gone and how they will just not engage debate on this issue and also on climate alarmism. There's a few debates that they just simply will not go near anymore. But it's that level of collusion. And, of course, it raises the issue. Well, it raises two issues, actually. One is what else are they uh, not telling us? And, you know, and uh, in, in we've got a general election in less than three months. So, so what else are they doing? Uh, not telling us uh, are they giving us both sides of the story mm. and then the other question is the government has been funding the media for the last couple of years they blame it on covid 55 million over a couple yeah. of years towards media outlets and the concern is that with the 55 million comes an expectation that the newspapers will follow the narrative of the media of the government yeah. and uh, that unfortunately these types of actions simply um, increase that suspicion rightly or wrongly uh, most people are very sceptical about the mainstream legacy media Absolutely. these days. Look, that, yeah, sorry. That, I, I just think that's one of the most shocking things. Um, I, mm. I've heard about that fund in New Zealand. Mm. I think you said $55 million, but it yeah. comes with strings attached. That that violates every mm. principle of journalistic integrity. Um, my, my degree was in journalism, and we were told mm. to be independent, and you never <laughs> accept influence from the government. This is drilled into you as a journalism mm. student. Yet fast forward to today and the media go along with stuff like this. Um, it, it's also yeah. really concerning, Bob, because as you said, you've created this What is a Woman campaign quite legitimately because your Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, had trouble with that very question. So it's a legitimate thing to put before voters. And yet you've got the media colluding to hide the advertisements, let alone report. You know, this is a newsworthy event, I would have thought as well. Yeah. Uh, you should have got some, some earned media as well as the paid media. Well, I was just going to make that point, actually, is that the print media refused to run it. Now, there was a huge pushback. There was a lot of talk on social media about it. And the TV media and the radio media, they were silent, not a peep. So what it shows is a collusion, not just amongst print media, yeah. but against, uh, uh, amongst all of our legacy media. And I think that's why a lot of people are turning off and a lot of uh, alternative media, um, for example, you know, your show and, mm. and others uh, will get increased viewership yeah. uh, and readership simply because uh, people are sick of the one-sided view and oh, they're looking right. for alternative views. Yeah, well, I've been amazed, Bob. I mean, you're, you're very modest, but your McBlogs, your YouTube channel over there with Family First mm. New Zealand is going through the roof. And uh, I think, mm. you know, you made the comment, you are the media, and that's that's not just hyperbole. Um, mm. it's, it's interesting, your, your media might be trying to silence things in New Zealand, but your campaign has attracted attention of none other than Jordan Peterson. Uh, he tweeted about this. Um, what did it feel like to uh, have attention from someone uh, with such a huge global megaphone? Well, we were uh, trying to entice some of them to comment. Jordan Peterson, I was trying to uh, entice Matt Walsh, the uh, mm. producer of the What Is A Woman documentary, to see if he would comment on it from the Daily Wire. In fact, I even uh, tried to entice a few Australian commentators as well as yourself and a few of you. But, but uh, you know, I think it is a worldwide... It's Western culture is having this debate. They've totally lost their way when it comes to the binary, when it comes to biological truth. And, and um, you know, we're paying the cost because what we're doing is we're confusing young children about who they are, totally. their sexuality, their yeah. gender, and then we wonder why they're so stressed. Yeah, and they won't even take the money to run 
ads in newspapers, let alone report the news. Um, mm. Now, now you know, it, it's pretty interesting, this whole space, because, you know, there's a lot of bad news. But um, I was intrigued that uh, your Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, um, had a little bit of a change of tune. Now, this was um, in the uh, wake of the uh, Posey Parker visit, uh, this uh, British woman, Kelly J. Keane, who mm. came to do uh, a um, series of events in Auckland. Uh, this was after she was part of a rally in Melbourne where neo-Nazis um, gate-crashed it. Um, this, uh, and, and this, of course, got the Australian politician Moira Deeming into trouble and got her expelled from the Liberal Party unjustly. But uh, I just want to remind people of what happened to Kelly J. Keane when, when she went to Auckland. Here's a clip. And the woman who sp helped spark the Liberal unrest has been left red-faced in New Zealand where she was sprayed with tomato sauce by an angry crowd of protesters. Thousands rallied against the anti-transgender campaigner Kelly J. Keane Minchell in Auckland today, putting the rest of her tour across the Tasman in doubt. Now, obviously, Kelly J. Keane or Minstrel is not a anti-trans person. She's a pro-girls and pro-women's mm. rights activist or advocate. Uh, but uh, and, and that that was one of the most scary things I've seen in a civil society place like mm. New Zealand to, to basically drive a woman like that out of the country. So I was pleased to see Chris Hipkins in Parliament say the following. Speaker, I believe it is the role of police to ensure that uh, the, the right to free speech is protected, uh, that people, uh, the right to peaceful assembly and peaceful protest is also respected, uh, and the right for people to hold uncontroversial opinions uh, and express those is also protected, and that needs to be done equally. So, so, Bob, what caused this change of heart and why didn't he speak up at the time? Well, I'm not sure if it's a change of heart. I think he is facing an election in less than three weeks. His party is imploding. He's just had his Minister of Justice get caught drink driving and then evading the police and resisting arrest. Uh, it's been a massive uh, fall down of, of one of his key uh, cabinet ministers and it's not the first, uh, there, there's just a lot going on. So he's trying to uh, make noises around some issues that he thinks they're coming across as fringe. Uh, unfortunately, he should have said it right at the time. He didn't and now he's trying to cover himself. You know, he, he even misspeaks in that clip that you played and says that he thinks that uncontroversial opinions should be allowed. I think he meant yeah. to say controversial, controversial opinions yeah. need to be allowed. Look, if he is starting to realise that uh, people like Kelly Jane, uh, uh, sorry, Posey Parker should be allowed to speak freely, well, the real test is going to be next, uh, no, sorry, beginning of September because mm. she's coming back for the court case of the woman who assaulted her. Good. And to be honest, it uh, wasn't her assault that was the worst. There was a woman who was punched in the face by a trans protester uh, at that event. And there was a number of other examples. So uh, Posey Parker is coming back in the country. Let's see what Chris Hipkins says then and whether uh, it's all smoke and mirrors as he desperately tries to hang on to power with the general election coming up less than three months. Yeah, I think you're, you're right, Bob. Um, you know, when I saw that clip, I thought maybe there's some, some hope that Chris Hipkins has seen the light and is a believer in free speech. But then I see Anthony Albanese, our Prime Minister over there this week, and uh, Chris Hipkins saying that climate change is the biggest security threat. Um, yeah. He probably hasn't heard of the Chinese Communist Party and what's going on uh, on his doorstep in Pacific Islands nations. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think uh, he's uh, he's still part of a party that wants to introduce hate speech laws and the hate speech laws are around, for example, the whole gender and sexuality issue. It's about clamping down on Judeo-Christian values and shutting down speech. Not that is hate speech, but it's simply speech that they hate. So uh, people should be very wary of what he's saying in the context of what his party has been pushing. People say, oh, he's not Jacinda Ardern, he's a different person. He was part of Jacinda Ardern's cabinet that made all these policy decisions. It's going to be business as usual for the Labor Party and voters need to be aware of that. So, Bob, do you think the momentum is building for a change of government? And if there is a change of government, will, will they be better on these speech issues, these women's and girls' rights issues? The polls have been very level, uh, although I think this latest example of the senior cabinet minister... Uh, Minister of Justice resisting the police, uh, I think that might be a nail in the coffin. The next polls are going to be the key ones. 
Look, the problems with our conservative uh, alternative, our centre-right party, mm. is that uh, they are not socially conservative. Yeah. Uh, they are not going... They, they will come strong on the hate speech issue, possibly. They'll park it. Yeah. But in terms of gender ideology, look, they unanimously... The, the two centre-right parties unanimously supported uh, a law which changed our birth certificates not based on biological reality, of being male or female, but based on identity. Mm. So, uh, Lyle, you could change your birth certificate in New Zealand to being female, um, yeah. just no, because that's how you identify. So, same same trouble over here, Bob. Um, the, yeah. you know, the Liberal Party, uh, particularly at state level, um, mm. you know, they're not strong on these issues. They're they're the same as as Labor. Bob, yeah, um, so they're fiscally yeah. conservative, but not socially conservative. And I think voters yeah. have to understand the difference Absolutely. between a conservative party. It has to be socially conservative as well. Yeah, well, here they're not even fiscally conservative anymore <laughs> if you look at the spending that went yeah. out the door during COVID. Uh, Bob, uh, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you yeah. continuing to fight the fight over there in New Zealand. And uh, we'll look forward to having you on again uh, closer to the New Zealand election. Uh, it's yep. something that we want to continue to follow. And, and good luck with your what is a woman campaign. Let's hope they take your money. All good. Thanks, Lyle. Good to be on the show. I just don't know who I am without you. You're Ken. But it's Barbie and Ken. There is no just Ken. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried Oh, oh, I, I have feelings that I can't explain They're driving me insane Well, all I can say is poor Ken. Um, I, I have to confess to going to see the Barbie movie at the weekend. Uh, people may not go to church much these days, but it doesn't mean they are not being preached to on a regular basis. Our culture is always preaching and the Barbie movie was no exception. This was no nostalgic look back at a Mattel product from our childhoods. Warner Brothers had a message and this movie starring Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken preached from start to finish. Now, my next guest is Bella Debrera, the director of the Foundation for Western Civilization program from the Institute of Public Affairs, wrote an incredible piece in The Spectator online this week, unpacking what this movie was about. She said it was misandrous. Uh, Bella joins me now. Bella, thanks for your time today. Why was the Barbie movie simply not a family-friendly, light-hearted comedy about the adventures of a pair of dolls who find their way to the real world? Thanks, Lyle, for, for having me on to talk about this piece. Look, I mean, I, I went to see the film too, and, and I had an inkling it was going to be quite woke, but I had no idea just how bad it would be. Um, look, as you say in your introduction, there was a message in this film, and it wasn't about, um, you know, the, the joyous adventures of a couple of dolls finding their, their, themselves in, in, in the real world. It was, it was really um, a, a very undisguised attack on men. Um, and that's why I entitled the piece Misandrist Barbie, because um, it, it, the message for me was, was that, that all men are bad, um, all men are stupid, and, and they cause all the problems in the world. And that was, the, that was really what came through this two hours of, of what was basically a, an anti-male uh, film. Yeah, and there's, there's philosophies that are animating that. You wrote that the film is an ode to Karl Marx and the French postmodernists, uh, in particular Michael Foucault. Uh, what did you mean by that? And what are these philosophies that are underpinning a film like this? Yes, look, I did, look the, the, these ideas don't come, come from nowhere. These ideas have been, have been um, lurking and have been developed in the universities since the 1960s and 70s. And um, at, at the Institute of Public Affairs, I've done a lot of research into what is being taught in the humanities and um, in the gender studies departments and this, the, the sort of the, the postmodernist feminism and, and the Marxism has been, has been around in our universities for a long time. And what upset me about this film is that what I've been reading about, what I've been researching was playing out on the big screen, but sort of coloured, dressed up as, 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 as a harmless film. And when I talk about Marx, 
uh, an influence of Marx on Barbie, which I never thought I would be having a discussion about, um, is that you know his 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 notion that that we can only define society by power structures. Um, and in the case of Barbie, it's it's the patriarchy. It was mentioned, I think, over ten times in this film. It was really rammed down the throats of the audience. So so the Marxist influence is that is that society can only be explained by by power structures, and that one group will always be uh, oppressing another. In this case, it's women being oppressed by men. And when I talk about Foucault, um, it's the the influence of postmodernism, and he. He basically came up with the idea that there's power in everything, that his, his crazy idea of discourses. So what happened with modern feminism and feminist studies is that they realized that you really can't look at modern day society and say that there's a patriarchy because women have all the rights, um, you know, 50% gender quotas and, and, you know, there's clearly no oppression of women happening in Western societies. So this film has added this sort of postmodern twist that actually the patriarchy is still there, but it's invisible. Um, and there's actually a line in the film that I don't know if you noticed where, where this is sort of brought up. You know, they, they say, well, but th 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 there are women in, in boards now. And they say, yes, the, the patriarchy is just doing it a bit better. In fact, it, it's invisible. So, yes. so this is why, you know, Marx, Foucault, the whole thing straight out of the universities onto our big screens. Yeah, no, that's, um, it's, that's fascinating, Bill. I must admit, I, I could see that uh, these ideas were animating the film, but I must admit it, it, it's very subtle. And uh, amidst all the glitz and the glamour, the costumes, the music, um, the comedy, um, feeling sorry for poor old Ken who's trying to find his identity, you, you sort of miss a lot of these things. But um, what, what are the consequences of us uh, imbibing these ideas? What sort of effect uh, will this have on you know, the next generation of, of young people, of young women in particular, who, who are watching, well, I should say young men. Um, what, what are the consequences of these ideas being preached through a movie like this, which has broken box office records, it's been a, been a hit, a lot of people are seeing it. Um, what sort of fruit are we gonna reap from this in the future? Well, Niall, that's a very good question. And, you know, it's we don't need to talk about the future. We don't need to look into the future to see what kind of fruits are going to be reaped from this 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 bad ideology because it's already happening. Um, you know, the, the movie, apart from being uh, an assault on men, um, is an assault on the idea of motherhood and, and on family and the traditional notion of the, 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 the family as the building block of society. And, you know, the the the, the family is everything. To a civilization, and what we're seeing now is a breakdown of Western civilization because we're seeing a breakdown of the family. So, the the sad thing for me is that most of the children in that audience and most of the the teenagers, and certainly everyone under forty five, will have already been indoctrinated with with this ideology at school anyway. Which is another thing that um, that I've been looking at as as part of the IPA research, which is what's taught in the national curriculum. This stuff is just layered through 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 the schooling system now. Um, so, so we don't need to look very far into the future to see what kind of effect this this ideology is having on society. So, it's, it's it's playing out now. So, so really, this film was just a primer, essentially, just to keep perpetuating the ideology. Um, uh, Bella, um, it really struck me that um, you, you're watching this film. Um, you're wanting so much uh, as the film progresses to see Barbie and Ken get together. Um, you know, Ken's got this yearning for Barbie to notice him. I think he says, "A good day is a is a day when Barbie smiles at me," and. Uh, and, and you get right to the end and Ken is just left hanging where Barbie says, basically, you've just got to go and find yourself, Ken. And it's like they're just two autonomous beings, no complementarity of the genders, no, you know, no romance. Um, this is the stuff of life. Uh, and yet um, this film leaves a, a very sterile sort of ending where you've just got to find yourself as an autonomous being. Uh, where's the hope in that? Look, it's, it's hopeless. I mean, the whole ideology is hopeless. And again, as you say, there's no romance. And it, 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 it really destroys that, that precious relationship between men and women that, 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 we've, that has, has been enduring, that has endured for 2,000 years until now. Um, and, you know, it's a terrible loss to, to, to all of us, to both men and women, that, that this is something that, that we're being deprived of now. And, you know, we were talking earlier about where would we be without this romance? Where we wouldn't have half the, the great canon of Western civilization, the poetry, the music, the art, the literature. Um, and this is why, you know, this is why the, the, the arts today <laughs> is, is empty and hopeless, because 
a lot of it has to do with the fact that this 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 vital this 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 relationship between men and women is being destroyed and, and torn apart and again it's all related to the, to this ideology and it's a great shame yeah it is a great shame we certainly need a more hopeful vision for the future and we're not getting it through films like this uh, although these are very deceptive films because they're entertaining you finished off your piece in the spectator saying the experience of seeing barbie was like being given a beautifully wrapped gift only to open it up to find the maggot infested rotten corpse of Western civilization instead. That's a very confronting line, Bella. It is, but look, it's a, con it's a, con it's a confronting film, um, if you really strip it back, if you strip back the candy and the pink and the, and, and the sparkle, um, which, is, which is how I opened the piece. It's a very clever marketing ploy by, by Warner Brothers. Um, the trailer gave the impression that it was, it was, a, it was a harmless, entertaining film, but, but, but when, you, when you take, when you really look at it, it shows the worst aspects of what's happened to Western civilization in, in a very harsh light. Um, and um, and it, it's, it, it really does expose the fact that our civilization is being eaten away and destroyed by these bad ideas. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bella. And uh, look, it's so important that we have discussions like this because uh, we don't control what's being put out as entertainment. Uh, Hollywood does that. And uh, this has been a very clever piece, but uh, we certainly need this more hopeful vision. Um, I'd encourage everyone to go and read uh, your uh, Bella's article at uh, the Spectator online and the flat white section or the cafe culture section, I should say. Uh, great piece uh, about misandrous Barbie. Uh, Bella Debrera, thank you so much for giving of your time today. Thank you, Lyle. Well, joining me now for our regular analysis of the ongoing war against girls and women by LGBTIQA plus political activists is someone who was branded by the Sunday Telegraph at the weekend as anti-trans. Well, I'm pleased to say that uh, that's a big fat lie by ignorant woke media. And I can inform you that my guest today is our regular pro-girls and pro-women's advocate, Kiralee Smith. Kiralee, thanks so much for being with us again today. How did it feel to open the telly on Sunday and see that you've been labelled anti-trans? Now, look, it's just so disappointing again and again and again when the, um, you know, the media want to push this narrative because it, it centres the, um, you know, the, the, I guess the transgender people as the victims, but it also misrepresents what we're doing here. We are trying to uh, inform, protect and promote the rights of girls and women, families and parents uh, in this space and it just sets it up as this really negative, divisive um false yeah. uh, narrative that just that isn't true and it um it really does have a, an impact on not just myself but um anyone in this space who simply wants to have a reasonable conversation about yeah. the impact of the lie that a person can change their sex because they can't no exactly and uh, i would have thought better of a journalist of the stature of james campbell the author of that story but uh on a more serious note, the story was catching up with uh, very old news, which we've been covering here on ADH TV for months now. And this is about how Football Australia, how one of its employees um, has been engaging in legal action against you for calling them out for allowing biological males to play against women. Really, Football Australia should be labelled anti-girls and anti-women if the, if the Telegraph was telling the truth. But uh, Kiralee, what's been the reaction to that story? Well, look, yeah, I mean, it's always any media is good media in that sense, and uh, it's woken up more people to realise. Yeah. I guess I've spoken more about the two applications for AVOs that are still in process and that we have hearings for, uh, but there was a third one brought by an employee of Football Australia that was withdrawn moments before it was to go to court. Uh, it was unreasonable. It was founded on, you know, like baseless um, accusations. And yeah. so... Um, she was just trying to shut you up, wasn't she, Kiralee? That, yes, that was the aim yeah. of that employee's exactly. action. Exactly, mm. exactly. And um, interestingly, I've had a lot of overseas interest in this story. Um, people are watching Australia. They're horrified that the police came to my door, that there's so many people, including yourself, Lyle, that are engaged in legal actions for simply speaking about our concerns for children and our concerns for women and girls. And so uh, it's very positive when um, more people are made aware uh, because I think if people did understand what was actually going on and what was at stake, they would be up in arms about it. But the media usually do a really good job of keeping it quiet. So yep. thanks to Jane Campbell and the Herald Sun and the Daily Telegraph for 
for, uh, I guess, reporting on the story in the first place. But, you know, some aspects of it, as you said, were disappointing. Yeah, that's right. Look, um, you know, it was good that the story got an airing, that that uh, the fact that uh, this was done to you to, to shut you up by an official, by an employee of Football Australia. But uh, it's just a shame they have to put in the pejorative name calling the anti-trans label. It's just, just you know, it's really silly and it shows a lack of understanding of the issue. But uh, just on... Um, the whole, uh, you know, they call it football, I call it soccer. Um, the World uh, Women's FIFA uh, Cup, the, the World Cup, now it, it boasted this week the first transgender player in history. Uh, but this is not what it seems, is it? Not at all. It's a woman playing women's football. <laughs> you know, she's just changed her title to non-binary and transgender. Now, if she's taking testosterone to appropriate male features, then that's really disturbing because that, that is equivalent to doping. And if she's just changed, you know, got a short haircut and taken on some male stereotypes and suddenly says she's male, well, I mean, it just shows the... It's, you know, a, it's, it's amazing it's a what real... you can do to make history, isn't it? <laughs> you it really cut your is. hair and call yourself non-binary and, and suddenly you're, um, you're a trendsetter. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's so good on her. Like, well, whatever. But she's still a woman playing football. That's but, the, what she's doing. But it is quite um, deceiving, isn't it? Because uh, when I saw that headline, I thought, okay, you know, this is um, a, a male playing in, in the women's league, you know, the, the, the sort of thing that you've been yep. calling out. But uh, it, it wasn't that at all. But it gives the impression that, you know, this transgender thing is more and more normalised. And uh, that's the exactly. insidious thing about what they're doing. Um, Kiralee, the, the International Olympic Committee um, this week, this is um, probably, you know, some, some good news. They've uh, sorry, this is bad news. I'll come to the good news in a minute. Um, the prestigious Women and Sports Awards have been scrapped in favour of the IOC Gender Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Champions. Now, um, again, the mind boggles. What's all that about? Oh, look, it's a really disappointing development, Lyle. These prestigious women's awards were for men or women, but the point of the awards were for anyone who was encouraging and facilitating and equipping women and girls in sport right around the world. It's, uh, you know, it's been this wonderful move over the last few decades to get girls and women involved in sport, to be comfortable with their bodies, to participate on a, play a fair and safe playing field. And now all of a sudden they've removed these incentives and these awards and suddenly, you know, the inclusion and diversity, which basically means more males will be eligible for awards that should have gone to females and it will remove incentive for more girls to be playing on those uh, because the, the playing fields will no longer be fair or safe. Well, let's just call it for what it is. This is the IOC punching down on girls and women. Um, it, it's just an excuse to, you know, under the guise of diversity, to allow a bloke who um, appropriates a woman's gender again. It's just, it's just nuts. Uh, Kiralee, it's almost like this one step forward, one step back and, you know, or, you know, <laughs> uh, a step, two steps back and one step forward. Um, there was some good news. Um, World Aquatics uh, has announced plans to create an open category for transgender swimmers in order to better protect female Athletes, this is in the wake of the Leah Thomas scandal, the, the bloke who, you know, was a mediocre male swimmer who ended up uh, swimming in the women's comps and, um, and blitzing them. Um, is this a move in the right direction? Well, look, it, it is and it isn't, Lyle. Like, it is in the sense that, yep, why not? Like, if, if transgender people want, um, you know, something other than the biological categories that already exist, give them the open, the trans, the mixed. Um, but I think what we'll find is there'll be an uproar because they actually want to encroach and steal from women and our spaces and services and places on the podium and prize money. I don't think it will um, it will satisfy their desires, but I think why not go for it because all it does will expose the agenda even more because the fact is these people can compete in their own biological categories, uh, male or female, that's all folks, but... Yeah, good step that they're um, they're going to protect women's swimming uh, in this instance. Yeah, look, as you say, I don't think the, the trans activists will, will buy it because uh, they, they don't want to be put in a separate category that makes them, they'll be, they'll be seen as a bit of a curiosity, which, you know, quite frankly, it is a bit of a curiosity to most people. Um, Kiralee, you, you reported on the, the binary blog uh, this week, um, a discussion between former uh, journalists from The Economist, Helen Joyce, who, who I have to say is a just uh, an absolute um, force of nature in this debate uh, and prominent, uh, prominent US podcaster Megan Kelly. Now, Joyce is the author of a very powerful book called Trans, When Ideology Meets Reality. They were discussing autogynophilia, 
Um, I thought this was worth bringing before our audience today. Just unpack what that means, Kiralee. Yeah, look, I think it's really hard for people to understand in some ways just because it's so unpleasant, but it's something that we do need to bring into this discussion and that is um, Helen Joyce just, you know, says there's basically two reasons why males will identify as female. One is because they had feminine traits growing up and were told that that was not acceptable, but the other, and which most of the leaders of the trans um, uh agenda have is this autogynophilia or genophilia whichever way you want to pronounce it and basically these males are aroused sexually by the thoughts of themselves as a woman and these are the men who insist on accessing our change rooms our toilets our our sports and services because they say that they feel like a woman but when they feel like a woman they are sexually aroused and unfortunately there's so much evidence on the internet of these men um, being sexually aroused as they dress as women they often dress in the hypersexualized caricature of a woman um, like drag queens really unreasonable demands of women in this space yeah, yeah. No, it really is quite uh, creepy, Kiralee. Um, I'd really commend people to go to the Binary blog and have a look at that uh, interview with Megan Kelly and Helen Joyce. Helen Joyce is a, a journalist with impeccable qualities. She also said uh, in that interview that um, what's being done to children uh, through these gender clinics is the biggest medical scandal of the 20th century, uh, 21st century, and I think she's absolutely right with that. Uh, Kiralee, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Um, really appreciate you again giving your insights. We say this every week. Uh, there's always something new and wacky and crazy in this space. That's why we keep discussing it. Uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Lyle. Well, the disappointing thing about the debate over heroin injecting rooms in Melbourne is that there is no debate about whether the government should provide them. Both Liberal and Labor support state-sanctioned places for vulnerable people to shoot up dangerous, illegally obtained substances. The Greens and the Liberal Democratic Party are extreme libertarian on drugs and they would sell them in supermarkets, well, at least at chemists. The only argument is where in the city to allow the next so-called medically supervised injecting room. This is a shame because the evidence is far from clear that drug injecting centres save lives. It is abundantly clear they don't reduce drug use, they don't reduce trafficking, and they don't reduce its related harms to individuals and local communities. That's why no one wants one next door to their school, as is the case in Richmond, or businesses, as is the case for the proposed second centre in Burke Street in the CBD. Now, politicians have lost the will and courage to push back on the prevailing harm minimisation approach to drugs and say no to their legal use. This is because being tough on drugs is, well, tough. Uh, there was a time when conservative sides of politics would hold the line on legalising illicit drugs. Conservatives once understood that the iron law of public policy is what governments condone society gets more of. This is absolutely the case with drugs, as the foolish US states experimenting with the legalisation of marijuana are discovering the hard way. My son is currently visiting San Francisco, a Democrat-run city which has become a dystopia. At night, it's like Gotham, Dad, he said to me this week. But Victorian Liberal leader John Pesuto is no longer holding the line in his quest to be labour light on social policy, quarrelling only about where to put the next injecting centre. Victoria's Daniel Andrews, uh, the Labor Premier, has produced a report on the operation of its Richmond in injecting centre, which claims it saved lives. However, Drug Free Australia, a respected drugs policy think tank headed by former Howard Government Drugs Policy Advisor, Major Brian Waters of the Salvation Army, disputes the methodology used. While every life saved is of course valuable, Drug Free Australia concludes that only one life was statistically saved, not the 21 to 27 claimed by the Andrews government. No reductions in death were recorded in the immediate vicinity of the injecting centre. Rates of discarded needles remained the same, as did trafficking and ambulance callouts. Importantly, there was no difference in the rate of injecting room users being referred to rehabilitation than non-injecting room users. Drug Free Australia asserts that the 2 to $3 million cost in running the injecting rooms would be better spent 
on rehabilitation services rather than maintaining people in their addiction. Analysis of Sydney's drug injecting room in King's Cross has found similar results and this probably explains why there has been no political will to open new drug injecting rooms in New South Wales. When political parties give up policing illicit drugs, the only people who benefit are the criminals and the gangs who traffic in this lucrative trade. A tough-on-drugs approach does not mean locking up every kid caught with a joint. Diversion programs can be used instead of jail. But it does mean not running up the white flag when it comes to getting people off drugs. Injecting rooms are simply honeypots for users, traffickers and the associated social problems no one wants in their neighbourhood. Now that Pesciuto and the Liberals have capitulated to the idea of legal injecting rooms, they too, with Labor, will now own the problem of where to put them. But harm minimisation pressure won't stop with injecting rooms. If the Liberals are prepared to allow the legal use of heroin, will they have the will and courage to oppose the legalisation of cannabis, which is being pushed by the radical left and the libertarian right? Like so many social policy issues, the Conservatives have abandoned the playing field. Vulnerable young people pay the price for these social experiments in legalising drugs. The community pays the price in the Gothamization of their cities. Well, that's all I have time for today. Before I go, don't forget that CPAC, the conference that has been unmissable for supporters of conservative and centre-right politics in the United States since 1974, is happening again in Sydney on August 19 and 20. I'm looking forward to being there. The speakers include Jacinta Price, Warren Mundine, Tony Abbott, Pauline Hanson, John Anderson, Matt Canavan, Moira Deeming and more. To get a 10% discount, enter the code ADHTV23 before July 20, uh, 31. Now, the Family First National Conference is also coming up on September 1 and 2 in Sydney, and after CPAC, you will want to put your politics into action by joining a political party like Family First. You can check out all the great speakers and register at familyfirstparty.org.au. I'll be next. I'll be back next Friday at 12 noon, but the show is always available on demand at the ADH TV website or through the app, or you can listen to the podcast on Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter at Lyle Shelton. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and now on Threads. The Family First blog at familyfirstparty.org.au contains stacks of relevant political commentary to keep you up to date during the week. Until next week, keep speaking up.